Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. You would say, bless you, right? Well, where did that come from? I don't think we really know. I was reading earlier on Snopes.com that there are a variety of explanations for where bless you came from. One of them goes kind of like this, that during the bubonic plague of years gone by, one of the symptoms was a sneeze. And so the Pope at the time suggested that when somebody sneezed, we would say bless you back to them as a way of offering a prayer to them, or a prayer for them, rather, in their sickness and in their illness. I don't know where it comes from. I do know this, that sometimes when we say bless you with regard to a sneeze, sometimes when we in the South use that uh, much maligned, much misunderstood phrase, bless your heart. Sometimes I think we have a tendency to uh, dumb down the meaning of what it means to be blessed. Blessing is a glorious scriptural principle. It's a truth that's wonderful. And Peter really gets at that here in 1 Peter chapter 3. He helps us to know that we have been blessed And so that we need to share blessings with others. In chapter 3, he's made a transition. He's talked to the church about submitting to government. He's talked to slaves about submitting to masters and used Jesus as the example there in the last part of chapter 2. He talked uh, in the last paragraph about wives and husbands and relationships in the home. And now he moves to another segment, uh, but it's a segment about relationships. With one another, in families, would, it would fit in families. It fits in the church. It also fits in how the church interacts with believers outside the body of Christ. So join with me, if you will, and let's pick up 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Peter says, finally, so he's indicating a transition from a previous thought to another thought. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, and this is the affirmation to us, on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called so that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at some ways that we can be a blessing to others. How you and I, in the way that we act, in the way that we speak, in the way that we think, how we can take the blessing that we've received and share it with others. Because we indeed have received many, many blessings. If you think about it, going all the way back to chapter 2, verse 24, one blessing is that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Jesus is our model and example of submission. More than that, he is our substitute and the one who offered us salvation. Peter was very clear earlier on in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, chapter 1, about our salvation. Folks, God has taken your sins and he's taken my sins and he has cast them away from us. He has forgiven us and brought us into a faith relationship with himself. He has forgiven us and made us right with himself. That is a blessing. 
He has brought us together as the body of Christ and made us that chosen people and royal priesthood. He has made us who were not a people into a people. He has given us blessings. And we could go on and on and on and list the blessings Peter talks about and list many, many more. But because we've received blessings, Peter says as followers of Christ, we need to bless others. The way in which we act and think, the way we carry ourselves needs to be a blessing. So we're going to look at three ways we can be a blessing. First, be a blessing in your character. Be a blessing in your character. Verse 8 gives us five adjectives that describe how we're to interact with one another in the course of our relationships, family relationships, church family relationships, and indeed in relationships outside the body of Christ. Who are we to be? How are we to act? We're to be a blessing in our character. Now, in this particular passage of Scripture verse, verse 8, it's what's called a chiasm. In other words, there's, there's an order to it. He says there's harmony, that's one thing we need to look for, and there's sympathy, and there's brotherly love, and there's compassion, and there's humility. If you're putting that in an outline, it would be a chiasm that would look like this, A, B, C, B, A. Here's what I mean by that. Harmony and humility go together. And then sympathy and compassion go together. And then brotherly love is kind of the the centerpiece of all of it. And so what we're going to do is think about these particular adjectives or characteristics as kind of a whole. What is it that we need to carry ourselves? Well, you know, when we act with harmony, sympathy, brotherly love, compassion, and humility, we're acting in a way that blesses others because we're not making our lives about ourselves. We're making our lives about other people. So harmony, what does he mean by that? It's the idea of unity. He, he describes it this way, all of you have unity of mind. Now, uh, what he's not saying is that we have to have uniformity of opinion. He's talking about a unity of disposition rather than opinion. Uh, if we were to sit down in this room and we were to discuss all kind of different things, we would have different opinions about different things. Some of you are not Tar Heel fans, so you need to get yourself right and become a Tar Heel fan. No, I'm just jesting. Some of you pull for different teams. I pull for different teams. Some of you think differently about, about uh, what restaurants you like, what types of food you like, what types of food you don't like. We could have all sorts of opinions. What Peter's not saying is that we're not, we don't have a right to our own opinion. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying that our disposition, the way we carry ourselves, needs to be one that promotes unity. Boy, wouldn't that be good in our country right now? Wouldn't that be good in our communities and our families? It's interesting, honestly, that Peter says this right after he talks about husbands and wives. Wouldn't it be wonderful if as husbands and wives, we carried ourselves regularly, consistently, daily with a disposition toward unity rather than this a situation of disagreement. Let me give you an illustration of what this may look like. He's not talking about that we need to have a unity of doctrine and thinking alike on everything. There are some really good times for us to be specific about our doctrines. Uh, recently, I've begun a, a blog series uh, entitled Word of the Week, and I post those on Wednesday afternoons, and I've done some theological content, theological terms that I've defined. And, and I recently did the term justification. As good Reformed folks, by Reformed I mean we are products of Protestants, not products of Catholics. Uh, we believe that justification happened once. It, it happened pri- when we were saved. 
doesn't need to happen over and over again. God declared us righteous, made us righteous, one-time event. And that it's something that I don't need to go back and work toward. It's a gift from God. Well, I posted that and then got a reply from a Catholic who, who took issue with my terminology on justification. And we've engaged in several replies back and forth on that particular subject. What I find interesting, and here's the, the point I'm trying to make, we don't, disagree, we don't agree doctrinally. I think he's off. He probably thinks I'm off. If you read the replies, you'll notice that that's true. But we've tried to have those conversations respectfully. Why? Because let me tell you something, folks. We as God's people need to be people who can engage respectfully around with other people. We need to be people who have a unity of disposition. In other words, we care more about the fact that God loves you and I love you and you love me and God loves me than we care about being right or you being wrong. And there's an important place to, to, to care about doctrine and care about specifics, but there's also an important place for us to care about one another and show love. And that's real, what, really what Peter gets at. He says not only a harmony, but sympathy. That we're able to care about people who are going through a difficult time. That the way I, I look around and I see people that are struggling, I, it, should, it should tender my heart for those that are struggling. That's the way Christians should be. We should care about those who are going through difficulty. Then he says brotherly love. Brother love. Folks, if we're a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, trust in Jesus to be your Savior. Your co-heirs, that's what Peter says in chapter 3, verse 7 of husbands and wives, means we're all going to heaven together means we're family. means if you're a believer and I'm a believer, we're brothers and sisters in Jesus. So what brings us together should be way more important than sometimes what divides us and what frustrates us. Being a blessing in our character means that sometimes we're willing to overlook some things that, that are, are frustrating and difficult, that are, that are hard. But why? Because we care about our family. We love the people that are around us more than we love the disagreements or love wanting to be right. Here's another word that he uses, a descriptor, compassion. That's the idea that when so we see someone going through a difficult time, our heart not only breaks, but it moves us to action. That we're willing to take, uh, take a step back or take a step into a difficult situation to meet a need and to care about someone. That's what compassion is. It's not just saying, oh man, my heart bleeds for that person. It's being willing to say, man, my heart bleeds for that, bleeds for that person. Now I'm going to do something about it. It's the whole idea of, man, I want hungry people to be fed. Well, okay, fantastic. Bring some food to Hope Ministry. Right? I want someone who is broken to have some help. Well, counsel them or help them find some counseling. I want people in our county to know that, that there's love from our churches. Well, go to support a mission partner. Feed people through His Light Ministry. The point of compassion is more than just, I think something needs to be done. It's acting, out, acting that out. Peter goes on and he uses the last characteristic. He talks about humility. Essentially, that would have been contradictory to the Greco-Roman world. 
The Greco-Roman world, in many ways, in the way that it carried itself as a system of thought, system of ideas or culture, is a lot like uh, contemporary Amer- the contemporary American culture in which we live. They care about people who are known. They care about people who are famous. They care about people who are wealthy. And people who are known, famous, and wealthy get a lot more influence than people who are not known, not famous, and not wealthy. In other words, you... you You're considered something special if you have wealth and pride and arrogance and all of those things. And if you have all those things, some of your lesser important qualities are overlooked. Peter says that's not how Christians are to be. We're not to be characterized by arrogance and pride, by self-interest and self-focus. And by the way, you want to be a person that breeds uh, peace in relationships? Be a person who's humble. If you always think you're right and you're the only one who thinks you're right and you're arrogant and prideful, I promise you, you're going to push people away. You're, you're going to create discord and you're not going to create a situation of peace. And what Peter says is we need to be a blessing in our character. And how do we do that? We do that by adopting these descriptions for our life as followers of Jesus. Harmony, sympathy, brotherly love, compassion, and humility. Not only do we need to be a blessing in our character, we need to be a blessing in our conversation. Pick up what Peter says. He says, don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. That's speaking back about others. But on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. And then he quotes Psalm 34, and we'll pick up on this and the the details of this in a moment. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips... From speaking deceit. Uh, you want to know something that's really true? If you want to be sure about a person's character, just listen long enough to how they talk. People find it very difficult to hide who they really are in their heart when they talk enough. Who they really are in their heart comes out in their speech. It comes out, if you listen long enough, to people who are revilers. When they're treated bad, what do they do? They revile back. Well, that, that's a character heart issue, and it comes out in their speech. When, when people are not honest, you know what? If you listen to them talk long enough, they're not going to be honest. Uh, if that's what's in their heart. When there's someone who is angry, if you listen to them talk long enough, you're going to hear that come out in their speech. James puts this in very bold language in James chapter 3 when he talks about the tongue. He says, the tongue is great evil. With it we do wonderful things, and with it we tear down and destroy. It's set uh, on fire as if it were a flame of hell. That's what he describes. And Peter, in this particular context, says to us that we can be a blessing in our conversation, a blessing in our speech. In other words, when we talk... What comes out? Does what comes out encourage or does it discourage? Does it build up or does it tear down? Does it divide or does it unite? Does it show love or does it spread hate? Listen, we need to be a blessing in our conversations. The way we talk needs to encourage and bless and defend and protect rather than do all of the negative things that too often our words do. I was talking to one of our church members this week. 
she was telling me that, uh, that she answered a phone call. She looked at the, the caller, and it didn't have a caller ID, but thought it was a local number. It turned out not to be a local number, so she answered it. And, and on the other line was, was somebody who said, I'm from Publishers Clearinghouse, and I want to give you $1.5 million. She said it was a little strange that she could hear wind blowing in the background, knowing that, that this person was obviously outside so she continued the conversation. She didn't just hang up. She said, well, what do I have to do to get $1.5 million? And he said, you just got to be home in about an hour and a half. Be home in an hour and a half? What do I have to do to just, just be home in an hour and a half? What, what, what's going on here? What do I really have to do to get $1.5 million? Conversation went on for a couple of minutes. And, and finally, out of frustration, the guy on the other end of the line said, shut up. And register with your 950000 And uh, she knew that the caller had it wrong because she didn't have that amount of money in her bank. And how he assumed that she had that amount of money in her bank to get $1.5 million, not sure. But, but here's the clue there. When a caller calls you and tells you to shut up and just do what they're telling you to do, they're probably not telling the truth. Probably nothing with that that they're going to give you $1.5 million. Let me make an aside. For all of you that are listening, if you get phone calls from people trying to give you money or phone calls from people trying to tell you that they're part of the police or the FBI and you've got to participate with them in some kind of scheme, they're scamming you. Let me just tell you that. The police are not going to show up at your, excuse me, are not going to call you on the phone and say they're going to arrest you over the phone. They're going to show up at your door. Okay, so let me just take that pressure off. You get that phone call, you hang up on them. You get a phone call from somebody telling you they want to give you money or they need you to give them money to get their friend, neighbor, uh, cousin out of a jail cell in Africa, then you hang up on that person, okay? They're only trying to scam you. And here's why I bring that up. That's deceitful language. If you listen long enough, whether it's to the news media uh, to newscasters, to politicians, to, to people all over our society, then what do we hear over and over and over again? We hear things that aren't true. We hear things that are shaded truth, that are partial truths. And here's what Peter says, quoting Psalm 34, let the one who is pursuing righteousness, let the one keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let me tell you something, folks, as followers of Jesus, our word should display the truth and the character that's in our hearts, and it should be true words, it should be helpful words, it should be words that build up and don't destroy, it should be words that are not deceitful and not dishonest and not ungodly and not unfaithful and not words that are full of guile. By the way, this is a pretty big challenge to be a blessing in our conversation. I find myself guilty at times of speaking in ways and in tones that are not right and not helpful and not encouraging. You know what God does? He convicts. But as followers of Jesus, we've been blessed. We've been blessed with salvation, eternal life, so we need to be a blessing in our conversation. Not only do we need to be a blessing in our character and a blessing in our conversation, but we need to be a blessing in our conduct. The way we live our lives. Notice what Peter continues to say, or write, quoting from Psalm 34. Let the man who seeks righteousness, let him turn away from evil. Let him do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We need to be a blessing in our conduct. 
the way we act toward others. How often do you find yourself seeking discord? Instead of seeking peace, you're seeking you know, some kind of divide. You want to prove yourself right. And by golly, you're going to prove yourself right. And that person who's wrong, they're going to listen to you. That's not seeking peace. It's not pursuing it. How often in our own spiritual lives and and in uh, our experiences have we been around people or have we been the person who does not pursue good? Who turns to evil rather than away from evil? Who turns to sin rather than to Christ? Listen, we need to be a blessing in our conduct. And I'm going to tell you this, the people I want to be around in life are the people who walk with Jesus. The people I want to be around in life are the people who in their conduct, the way they carry themselves, their attitude, their demeanor, their speech, all the things we've already talked about, and also in their behavior, they're the kind of person that's a blessing to one another. They're the kind of person that I want to be around. I want to be around a person that loves other people, wants to serve other people and benefit other people. Not the kind of person that has to be served and has to be benefited, has to get their way, has to be in control. Be a blessing in the way that we conduct ourselves. When was the last time you did something good for someone else? When was the last time you just, you just did something good? Not for any other reason. Not for any other poor motivation. Not for any other manipulative motivation. You just wanted to do something nice for someone else. Be a blessing in your conduct. Let me give you some applications. And then we're going to draw this home with a picture from the Old Testament. Let me give you three specific applications or blessing challenges. Let's call it a challenge. Challenge number one. Thank God for something He's changed about your character. I want you to take some time today, this week, in your devotions today, whenever. Take some time and thank God for something He's changed about your character. The reason I want you to do that is because God is the one, through His Son Jesus, who saved you and who redeemed you. And you know what? You remember who you used to be. And too often, too much of who we used to be is still there. You know, there's still struggles that we have. But we can all look back, hopefully, if you're a follower of Jesus, and see, hold on a second, God has, uh, He's really changed this about me. I used to be this way, and I'm not near that way as much as I used to be anymore. And and don't just think on it and and start patting yourself on the shoulder and say, you know, know, that's something I fixed in my life. And No, that's not humility. Take some time and thank God that He's changed you. That he's done something different in your life. So I want you to pick one thing, one thing in the next few days in your devotional time to thank God for the way he's changed your character. Here's challenge number two. Speak a blessing to someone else this week. The idea of blessings is, is through, through and through the Old Testament. It's the blessing of Jacob and Esau that Isaac spoke to Jacob. And he couldn't speak it to Esau because he had already spoken it to Jacob. There's power in our words and what we say. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to find someone this week. Could be a child. Could be a spouse. Could be a neighbor. Could be a co-worker. Could be a friend. Could be a niece or a nephew. I don't know who it is. Could be someone in your relational circle. Speak a blessing to that person. Be intentional. Pray about what you should say. This isn't a time for advice. I'm not asking you to come up with somebody who you know needs a good godly uh, bit of wisdom and you've got that wisdom and it's been banked and you're ready to have that conversation with that person. It's not what I'm talking about. There's a time and a place for that. That's not what this is. What I'm asking you to do is speak a blessing into their life. 
Look at a child and tell them who they are in Jesus. Look at a a family member, spouse, and tell them who they are in Christ. Speak a blessing to them and over them. And if you pray about it, if you ask the Lord who it is that He wants you to speak to, you might be surprised that you can be the very voice of God and voice of encouragement to a person that desperately needs it this week. So I'm giving you a challenge number two. Speak a blessing to someone this week. Here's challenge number three. Give a blessing in action to someone this week. Do something for someone that you wouldn't normally do. I'm not going to let you get off the hook here, okay? I know you as husbands, sometimes you clean the bathrooms because that's your job. Sometimes you do it because you love your wife. But that's a normal thing, okay? That's a habit thing, regular thing. I want you to ask the Lord to show you something unique and different, special, that you can do to bless someone this week. I just want you to think about this for a moment. We have about 40 or so people here worshiping with us in the room on Wednesday night. We'll have about 140 or so worshiping with us in two services on Sunday. We'll have, I don't know how many on Facebook and YouTube and Vimeo, couldn't even begin to count those numbers, but 100 viewers, devices, I mean, we divide that up a whole different ways. I don't know how many, but let's just round it out and say we've got 350 people that are hearing this sermon this week. If 350 people did something unique to bless someone in their family, their church, or their relational community, I think God may use that to make a difference in someone's life, or maybe many someone's lives. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Thank God for the way that He has changed something about your character. Speak a blessing to someone, and then give a blessing to someone in your behavior. Let me tie this home with a picture. Because I know you've been listening to the sermon, and it's a lot about practical advice. What are we to do and who are we to be? But the reality is, while we've received a blessing, salvation, and while we have obligations to live our lives as a blessing to to others, many of us don't feel much like we've been blessed. And even more of us don't feel like we want to bless anybody else because we know what we're going through. The circumstances and the situations and the troubles and the trials and the isolation and the difficulty and the anger and the divide that surrounds us keeps us from, from, from kind of doing what the Bible says we're to do with our character. And it's tough and it's frustrating. In other words, this message meets real life and real life doesn't make it easy to be a blessing. Man, we love it when somebody else blesses us, but it's hard sometimes in our pain and our difficulty and our struggles to bless other people. And I want to tell you, Peter understood that. In fact, he's writing to a group of people who he over and over says to them, you're going to suffer. Part of the reason he writes this particular section here is because he's going to move into a place where they talk about them suffering unfairly. And suffering unjustly. And going through a time of persecution. And going through a time of difficulty. And going through a fiery trial that he's going to talk about even later in his letter. Sometimes that's us. Sometimes that's what we're going through. Sometimes that's what we're dealing with. And Peter quotes from a section of scripture where that's exactly what's going on. Psalm 34 is a beautiful uh, hymn of acknowledgement that David wrote. David penned this psalm. He talked about things, taste and see that the Lord is good. He used this very language that Peter adopts, picks up on. He's quoting directly from Psalm 34. 
And I just want to encourage you for a moment. David didn't write Psalm 34 when everything was going great. David wrote Psalm 34 when he was at one of the lowest points of his life from some of the decisions he had made and some of the decisions that had been made and acted upon him. If you go back in your Bible and you read Psalm 34, there's going to be a heading. It's going to say something like this. It happened when David was in the cave of Adullam after leaving the Philistines. Yes, those Philistines. Let me give you the context for David writing this psalm. David had served King Saul. You remember he killed Goliath the giant. And Saul made him basically the head general in the army as a teenage boy. Brought him into the kingdom, gave him his daughter in, in marriage. And Saul was incredibly jealous of David. And on at least two specific occasions, tried to kill David. But David and Saul's son Jonathan were best friends. And, and they worked it out so that Jonathan would discover Saul's intent on David. And Saul's intent on David was to kill him. And so David ran away. Basically left Jerusalem in a hurry, ran away. And he came to this place called Nob. Nob, he met with a priest named Ahimelech, a friend of his, somebody who helped him at times before. So David came to this priest Ahimelech and he said, what do you have? I I, I need some some food, I need some sustenance. And Ahimelech said, you know, why are you in such a hurry? David had a chance to be honest. had a chance to tell the truth, whether that was detracting truth to Saul or not. But here's what David said, Saul sent me on a mission, so David lied. To Ahimelech, the priest in that moment, lied to him. Said, Saul sent me on a quick mission. I don't have any, I didn't have time to get anything. He did run away in a hurry, but he wasn't exactly honest with what happened. And so he got some bread, he got Goliath's sword, and he left. And so David then trying to figure out, okay, where do I go next? And by the way, trying to figure out what God's will in your life is after you've lied is not an easy thing to do. Because when you're walking in a place of dishonesty, it's really hard to hear from the God who is truth embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. So you know what David decided to do? He got it up in his mind that the best thing he could do would be to go to the Philistines at Gath. So the guy who had been responsible for killing all the Philistines in battle decided to go to the Philistines and seek refuge in the enemy's camp. When he got there... Obviously, the king was sort of, okay, this is kind of cool. We've got the guy who is running from King Saul. Maybe we can use him. But all the servants of King Achish of Gath said, "Uh uh-uh, hold on a second, hold on a second. This is the guy that's killed all our buddies. Why do we want him here? And David realizing, hold on a second, maybe I've not made the wisest decision of my life, sees the writing on the wall and sees, man, my life may be at stake. So David goes to acting class. And he decided, hold on a second, I need to get out of here. So he started acting insane. Scripture says he started cutting, pulling off the wood on the walls, writing on the walls with his finger. He started acting like he was nuts. He started spitting saliva out on his beard like he was a madman. The king replied, listen, I have enough madmen in Philistia. I don't need another one. And so David was able to run off. When he ran off, he went to the cave at Adullam where he was there by himself. That's when he wrote Psalm 34. He wrote Psalm 34 when he was in a place where he had messed his own life up in many ways, where his life was being messed up by people outside, and it gets worse. While he was in the cave at Adullam, 
he heard that Saul had sent one of his agents, Doeg the Edomite, who happened to see David with Ahimelech the priest earlier. He sent Doeg to uh, the city of Nob, and Doeg killed every priest, every priest's wife, all the kids in the, all the, kids in the town, wiped the town, entire town out, slaughtered everyone because they had aided someone that Saul thought was an enemy. The only one that got away was Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, who ended up becoming one of David's priests. So get this picture for a second. David is in a cave. The only people that are around him are refugees and kind of the lowest dregs of Israelite society that didn't, couldn't serve in the army because Saul didn't want him in the army. And it's lowest of the low. It, it, so he's surrounded by the lowest dregs of society, hearing that his seeking of help in Nob caused the death of an entire city. That's when David writes these wonderful verses that says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. He goes on to write in verse 18, the Lord is near the brokenhearted. Any, any of you listening, you brokenhearted, going through difficulty, tragedy, suffering, Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. Ever felt crushed in spirit? I promise you, in that moment, with the whole city that had been wiped out from an enemy of his, probably because of, in part, because of David's lies, all the insanity that he had acted out, I mean, he had to be crushed in spirit. There's no way he was on cloud nine. He was in the lowest of the low places. Lord saves those who are crushed in spirit. You know that? He cares about you right where you are, no matter how bad you feel, no matter how difficult it is. He cares about you. Get this. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Isn't that true? But the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of His servants, and none of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. That's how David finished up the psalm. Beautiful about that psalm is he made a prophecy that would be picked back up on in the book of John. Remember when Jesus was hanging there on the cross? He was hanging on the cross, and the typical strategy of the Roman soldiers was to break the legs of those hanging on the cross so they would die faster. And they came to Jesus... And they didn't break his legs because they saw that he was dead. You remember the story of him being speared in the side and blood and water gushing out. Well, that's to, to keep a claim that the Passover lamb in the Old Testament, book of Exodus, was not to have any bones broken. It was to be a pure, spotless lamb. David made this prophecy. Not one of his bones would be broken. Not one of his bones would be beaten or torn apart, torn asunder. He's making a quote, a prophecy that Jesus would fulfill on the cross 2,000 years later. Here's where that meshes with this particular story. Folks, to be a blessing, you have to receive a blessing, first and foremost. None of us are in a place where we really feel like blessing others. And I'm going to tell you something. Jesus went to the cross and took every curse you could possibly ever experience and take so that He could give you eternal life. Jesus did what you couldn't do. His bones weren't broken and David testified of that. So that in the place where we're crushed, in the place where we are struggling, in the place where real life meets the mess of where we are and meets the obligation we have to bless others, that's where the gospel bears fruit in our existence. Jesus comes down in the midst of our situation and says, 
you know what? I know you've told a lie. He met David in that cave and said, I know you've told a lie. I know you haven't been honest. I know you haven't trusted me with everything. But you know what? I'm going to meet you right where you are anyway. Because I'm a God of grace. And I'm a God of love. And I've got, I'm a God of mercy. Some of you are going to walk out of here thinking, hold on a second, there's no way I can bless somebody else because you don't know what I did last week. You don't know what I did last night. You don't know, you, there's no way. How can God accept me where I am? Folks, the only way God accepts any of us where any of us are is by what Jesus did on the cross. The forgiveness that He offers and He draws us to Himself and says, I know what you did, but I know what I've done too. I've redeemed you and I've saved you and I've restored you and I've brought you in a relationship with me. I want you to receive blessings so you can share blessings. Maybe you're watching, maybe you're listening, maybe you're here, and you've never trusted Jesus to be your Savior. I want to tell you something, folks. He died on the cross for that crushed situation that you're in, that difficulty, that challenge, that brokenness, that sin, so that you could be forgiven and redeemed. Tell us about it. There's a number on the screen. Text us that number. Let us know you'd like some help, some conversations about salvation, spiritual life. We'd love to get back in touch with you, let you know what's going on, and encourage you. Saint, follower of Jesus, I want to tell you something. No matter where you are and what your situation is in, Jesus is in the midst of your situation with you. Live your life as a blessing to others because Jesus has blessed you with His presence, with His saving grace, with His mercy, and with His forgiveness. Stand with me, if you will, as we testify of that in song and in prayer. Lord God, we come to you. I thank you so much that you love us. I thank you that you care about us, that you're merciful to us. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you sent your Son, Jesus, to meet us in our messes, to intervene in our difficulties, to set up a home with us, even in our places of being crushed, in our places of isolation. And thank you, Lord, that when you came and you met us where we are, met us where we were, you did so so that we could be forgiven. You did so so that we could experience the blessing of eternal life. You did so so that we could experience the blessing of salvation. You did so so that we could share those blessings with others. Lord God, I pray that you move in our hearts. I pray that this picture we have in our mind of David in this moment of difficulty, still pinning words of your grace, pinning words of spreading your grace out, and those being picked up by Peter, pray that they would encourage us. Pray that they'd inspire us to live out the gospel that we've received, the blessing of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.